Well, happy Sunday, OCC family, and welcome to all of our guests who are listening in online this weekend. Uh, It is so good to be back. You know, my family and I have been exploring and enjoying our state over the past few weeks, just doing some uh, some fun traveling together. Uh, We had the opportunities to camp in the Dells. Uh, We visited Sheboygan for the day, and then most of our time was spent up in Door County, just going to the beaches, eating local food, and getting some much-needed time in with our boys and with my wife. Um, I would say there's been two highlights of my summer so far. Um, obviously, one highlight is traveling with my family and enjoying that time together. Uh, but the other is having the opportunity to preach through this first book in the Psalms uh, with my church family. Today, we're in week six of our summer message series. This series is called Summer in the Psalms. And during the months of June and July, as a church family, we're taking a closer look at a handful of psalms in the first book of Psalms, which is Psalms 1 through 41. And then we've been encouraged and challenged to read through the entire first book on our own time. In fact, we have a summer devotional reading guide that's available, and that encourages you to read five psalms per week. And if you'll do this, you'll have read through the first book in the psalms by the time we wrap up our series. Now, we're in the second to last week, so next week is our last week, so if you're behind, um, some of the psalms are pretty short. You can take time to read this week and and get caught up, Uh, but don't read just to to check it off your to-do list. Um, Really spend time in the psalms, meditating on the Word of God and, and praying through the psalms. Well, today's message is from Psalm 34. If you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 34, and then you can just hold your spot. Before we look at this psalm together, I'd like to uh, take a little bit of time and share some of my own story with you this morning. You know, I've enjoyed most of my life. I grew up in a home with a mom and a dad who who loved me um, with everything they have, who loved my brother and sister. They, they worked hard. I've generally known what God has called me to do since uh, the time I was in high school. You know, I've really since that time in my life known Uh, that God has called me to serve him in vocational ministry. Um, I've been so blessed to be able to marry my best friend, and God has blessed us with four healthy, uh, wild, and unique boys. And I've been able to serve God in and through the local church uh, alongside individuals who genuinely love God, who love people and care about the mission of the local church. And while most of my 32 years on this earth have been great, Without a doubt, they've been, uh, I've enjoyed them. They've been great. I've certainly had a few very challenging and difficult years. In the spring of 2015, after serving around seven years in youth and family ministry, um, I found myself in a season where I was just burned out. I was burned out in ministry. I, I loved the families, uh, volunteers, and students in our church, But I was in a season where I really missed my family back home in Oklahoma. I was working through some of the challenges that come with being a young dad. I felt like my gas tank was just running on E. I didn't have a whole lot left to to give. I needed to be filled up again. The same questions I like to ask others in the church who are going through a difficult season, maybe they're struggling in their faith, I like to ask them questions like this. You know, are you reading your Bible consistently? Are you praying daily? Are you involved in a small group where other Christians can encourage you and help hold you accountable in your faith? Are you serving God with the gifts that he's given you? All these questions that that I like to ask others, 
I could not answer yes to all of these myself. So in the midst of a very challenging time, I decided to move my family back to Oklahoma, really in hopes that I could get a break from, from vocational ministry, that I could spend time with my family and focus on my relationship with Jesus and, and with my wife, you know, praying about what God would, would have us do next. The three years that we spent in Oklahoma from uh, 2015 to early 2018, these were some of the most challenging years of my life. This was a season where I learned some very important lessons, though. In this time, I, I really learned to trust God more in the present, and I learned to trust Him, uh, trust His plans for the future. I love being around family during this time, and I think my favorite thing about being in Oklahoma was having the opportunity to work with my dad. Uh, my dad owns his own construction company, and he has for years, and I was able to be an estimator and just work right alongside him. I really enjoyed that, but after about a year or so, I started to feel uh, the nudge from God just really convicting me and, and wanting me to start praying about vocational ministry again. And from my very first ministry, when I was a youth minister in McAllister, Oklahoma in 2008, I've, I've known that God wanted me to preach and, and pastor a church at some point, but I always knew that it would have to come and have to happen in his timing. So that's what my wife and I started praying about. That's what our family started praying about. And we actually uh, would go into our closet, my wife and I, we'd shut the door and we'd pray about this exact thing. God, where, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Whatever you want us to do, uh, here we are, send us, Lord. We, we had that uh, mind and that mentality. We just wanted to go where God wanted to send us. Just when we were getting excited about the possibility of uh, looking for a church, um, I received the worst phone call that I've ever received. Probably the worst phone call that I ever will receive. Um, on May 17th, 2016, around 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, I got a call from my dad, a call that nobody should ever get. My dad let me know that my younger sister had passed away. Um, she had committed suicide earlier that night. As a family, everything in our lives came to an abrupt halt. You know, personally, my, my hope of beginning the process of finding a church to pastor and to, and to help lead, that would have to be put on hold, and rightfully so. I remember for my parents, uh, work for them would change for several months. And our family was about to go through the most heartbreaking thing we'd ever gone through. The next two years would be spent uh, healing individually and as a family, praying, seeking the Lord, and learning to trust God in a much deeper way. You know, having experienced loss, real loss, for the first time, I had to learn what it means to, to grieve like those who have hope. We, we learn about that in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Learning to grieve like those who have hope, as opposed to grieving like the world, grieving like someone who doesn't know Christ, someone who doesn't have that hope. This season of my life was spent around some very special people, some very important people to me. Um, my pastor, a guy by the name of Paul Cunningham, I've talked about him numerous times here at the church. Um, he was there for for myself and for our family, every step of the way. Um, it was spent around friends, uh, family, and, and I would say most importantly, my wife. 
All of these people reminded uh, me and our, our family that grieving the loss of a loved one is, is actually a very healthy thing when it's done in the right kind of way, when it's done in a scriptural way. And believe it or not, there's actually a healthy way and an unhealthy way to grieve, but that's, that's a message for another day. I learned to grieve as someone who has hope, who has real hope in the person, work, and power of Jesus. I also learned that God doesn't want me to get over the loss of my sister. Instead, he wants to help me get through that loss, to get through the pain that comes from loss. There's always a lesson or or lessons to be learned in the midst of the storm. After a season of healing, of seeking God and learning to trust him more in the present and with the future, um, God opened the door for our family to be sent out again. Uh, We actually spent around six months praying for the right church home. And after about a dozen interviews with various churches across the country, God led us to a church in a state we'd never been to before. We'd never been to Wisconsin before actually driving here for our interview. He led us to a town we'd never heard of. In fact, I think I pronounced on Alaska wrong the first time I heard of it, and maybe even for a few months after living here. But today, our family is so blessed to be able to serve alongside a group of people who've become like family to us. People who genuinely love God, love others, and care about the mission of the church. We're not a perfect group of people. We're an imperfect group of people, but we love a perfect Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. The story of my life is so much better today than it was even just a few years ago. God spent some time healing and restoring me so that I could be most effective for him throughout the rest of my life. This is something that we actually see all throughout God's word, especially in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the Gospels, we meet individuals who had these extraordinary encounters with Jesus, the kind of encounter that changes a person's life forever. And their stories, your story, and my story all serve as a reminder that Jesus meets people right where they're at, even if that place is not so great. And then he takes them to a much better place. I would say this, that Jesus gives people a better story. That's something to celebrate today. Let's take the book of John, for example. One of the gospels, it's not a synoptic gospel, but it is a gospel. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Um, Just right away, you start to encounter these people who had encounters with Jesus that changed their life forever. John chapter 3, we run into an individual by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jewish religious leader who was also a Pharisee. Um, He was active in religion. He knew a lot uh, about God, but he was spiritually dead. He heard about Jesus. He sought Jesus out. And we believe Jesus gave him a a vibrant faith, a sincere faith. In fact, John 3.16, the most well-known verse in the New Testament, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. These words were spoken by Jesus to Nicodemus. Can you imagine being the one that actually heard these words from Jesus? We believe that Jesus gave him a better story. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, or the woman at the well. She's also known as the woman of of ill repute. She had five husbands and was currently living with a man that she wasn't even married to. 
It's a reminder that Jesus meets people right where they're at. He met her right where she was at, and her life was transformed. Jesus gave her a better story. John chapter 5. There's a man that we, that we meet here. He, he couldn't walk. He'd been sick and lying in the same location, the same spot, for 38 years. Now, I'm 32. Right? He'd been there 38 years. His situation looked hopeless. He felt helpless. But Jesus met him right where he was at and ministered to his deepest need. He healed him physically, but we learned that wasn't his deepest need. More importantly, Jesus brought attention to the spiritual need. Jesus gave him a better story. You know, as I was preparing to preach through Psalm 34, I realized that's what this psalm is all about. Psalm 34 is all about a better story. It's a written testimony from a man whose life was changed by God. Psalm 34 is about a time when David, King David, was delivered from a bad situation and was given a better story. What do we know about Psalm 34? Well, we know that David wrote Psalm 34 in response to a season in his life where he was running. He was actually, we believe, running from King Saul, and he found himself in the city of Gath. This is one of the five major Philistine cities. Now, the Philistines were the enemies of the Israelites, and the Israelites were the enemies of the Philistines. So you have to wonder, David's running from Saul. Why would he run to this place? Personally, I I have no idea why. But we do know that when he got there, uh, military officers in Gath, they recognized David right away. We don't hear their conversation, but you have to wonder if it went something like, hey, isn't this, you know, the same David who who killed Goliath, our, our champion? Isn't this the same David who killed thousands of our warriors over the years, thousands of our soldiers? And David, David heard about this, so naturally he was afraid for his life. So what did he do? Does he, does he trust God with the situation? Does he pray? Does he, does he fast? He doesn't do any of those things, at least not that we know of. David was afraid, and he decided to pretend to be insane. (laughs) That's what he did. In fact, the Bible tells us he started scratching on doors and drooling out the mouth down his beard. Can you imagine this sight? He pretended to be insane. So seeing this, there was a man named King Achish. He's the king of Gath. He told his men to not bring David to him. He didn't want anything to do with him. See, it's believed that it's actually custom for the Philistines during this time not to harm mentally disabled people. Seeing how David was acting, King Achish didn't want anything to do with him. He didn't even want him to be his guest. The, the story is actually pretty short, and we read that David left Gath, and he escaped to a cave. The story is found in 1 Samuel 21. I believe it starts in verse 10, so I'd encourage you to read it this week if you have time. But out of this experience in Gath, David wrote and shared some important life lessons and truths that we see in Psalm 34. And all of these are about how to face life when life isn't going your way. How to face life when life isn't going your way. These lessons and truths, they'll help any follower of Jesus when you find yourself in this kind of a season, a difficult situation, a difficult life storm. And they help us to respond in a way that is pleasing to God, in a way that honors God. And they act as a reminder that God's plan and purposes are always for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. 
Psalm 34 helps us see that the storms of life don't last forever. And some of you, that's what you need to hear today. You might be going through a difficult season and you need to be reminded that the storms of life, they don't last forever. That God has a better story in mind for everyone who trusts in Jesus with their life. So there are actually four main truths that I want to pull out of this psalm this morning. I'm I'm sure there's there's a lot more. We're not going to go super deep into it, but we are going to read the entire psalm today. And as I was reading through Psalm 34, I see that it naturally divides into four sections. So we'll look at each section individually, and then we'll talk about the practical truth and, and life lesson that we see in each section. Again, these truths help us know how to face life when life isn't going our way. And they're a reminder that the storms of life won't last forever. That God has a better story in mind for all of us. So if you're taking notes, the first truth that we're going to talk about is this. Keep praising the Lord personally and with people. Keep praising the Lord personally and with people. This truth is found in the first three verses of Psalm 34. This is what it says. I will praise the Lord at all times. Some of you need to write that down. You need to underline that. I will praise the Lord at all times. And David says, I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. So let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's goodness. Let us exalt his name together. So when you feel hopeless and you feel helpless, keep praising the Lord personally and with people. Notice all the verbs that David uses in these verses. He uses words like praise, speak, boast, tell, exalt. And other translations use words like magnify and bless. Now, if you were to read the entire psalm all the way through in one sitting, you'll notice how many times David uses the name Lord. The name Lord is used 16 times in this psalm. Now, regardless of the situation that David was in at this point, he's reminding his men, he's reminding readers of this psalm to choose to to praise the Lord. He's using God's name over and over. He's saying, regardless of what's going on, focus on the Lord. I think that's easier said than done. If David was writing this to his men, and we believe that he was, He was calling them to take their focus off of the trials, suffering, the the war, the battles that was going on in their lives, and to focus on worship. And because God's word is for every single generation, I believe that's the message that we need to hear and apply to our own lives today. So whatever this season of life has been like for you, choose to focus on worship. Focus on giving thanks to God for who he is and then for what he's done magnify his name, tell others about him and boast in the Lord, not in yourself or in your situation or circumstances, boast in the Lord. David was able to keep praising God because he knew that his God answered prayer. He knew that God provided for his needs. His his God delivered him from trouble and his God protected him from danger. David knew that he and his men were were set apart by God and that real joy is found in praising God, even in the midst of the storm. Friends, in Christ, if you know Jesus, you are set apart as well, set apart to live a holy life. 
a life that has purpose and joy in the Lord. You know, knowing who you are in Christ and knowing who God is, this will motivate you to keep praising God personally and with people, even in the midst of the storm. Now, notice I I said praising God personally and with people. It's important that we worship God. Worship should be a lifestyle, not just on Sunday morning. So we should worship God throughout our day, worship God personally. And that's great, but how much better is it to worship God? With people, this Sunday is our first Sunday back to being able to worship together. And you know, if you're listening to this through the podcast, you might not be with us physically, but um, you're worshiping with us in spirit. You know, you're you're part of our church. You're just as much a part of what God is doing as as the people who are here physically. And we should be reminded that it's important to worship with people. Point number two: If you're taking notes, uh, this truth is: uh, seek the Lord and be delivered. Seek the Lord and be delivered. This truth is found in verses 4 through 8. It says, uh, David writes this, I I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. You know, these verses serve as a great reminder of what God does for those who seek him. From verses four through eight, this entire section, David reminds us that God delivers. Let's break this down by verse. Verse four is a reminder that God answers prayer and frees us from our fear. Verse 5 reminds us that God gives a kind of joy that the world cannot take away. Friends, this is not circumstantial joy. This is a kind of joy that's found in in Jesus. Verse 6 reminds us that God saves us from trouble. He helps us go down the right path, the path of the righteous. Verse 7 reminds us that God defends his people. And then verse 8 reminds us that only God can truly satisfy. I think more than ever, people are trying to find satisfaction in the things of this world. And David reminds us that taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. True satisfaction is only found in Christ. You know, to seek the Lord, we said seek the Lord and be delivered. To seek the Lord means choosing to look to the Lord in faith. And when you don't know how to face life, look to the Lord in faith. And as you look to the Lord, be reminded about his promises. Promises of how he delivers, defends, and satisfies his people. David's instruction to taste and see that the Lord is good. This isn't just a a sip or a nibble. (laughs) You know, when you're hungry... You don't just take a sip of water and eat a crouton. That's not what this is. David is encouraging us to find our complete nourishment in the Lord through his word and through a sincere faith in Jesus. It means knowing him better and enjoying him more. It was a huge blessing for David to be delivered by the Lord after he fled from Gath. It was an even greater blessing to be protected by the Lord after he fled. But the greatest blessing, I believe, was drawing near to God and enjoying his presence, not just his gifts. Friends, this season, I want to encourage you to seek the Lord, 
Do so by reading his word, by praying, by standing firm on his promises and drawing near to God. It's important to understand that uh, being delivered, we said, seek the Lord and be delivered. Being delivered doesn't always mean that the, the challenge, difficulty, or life storm will be taken away. Sometimes we hear that and I think we, we assume that God's just going to take away all of our problems. Remember, there, there's always a lesson or lessons that God wants us to learn in the midst of the storm. Often, being delivered means receiving a kind of peace It can only come from God, a kind of peace that passes all human understanding, a kind of peace that the world cannot offer. It's being delivered from the stress of the moment, not necessarily the problem itself. We have to remember the life of Jesus. Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this this cup of suffering away. We know that Jesus wasn't delivered from the cross, not not in the way that we typically think about being delivered. That's a reminder to us. You know, our our loved ones are not always going to be healed physically. Our marriages don't always get better. And our children don't always grow up following the Lord, knowing Jesus. But God does give a kind of peace that passes all human understanding. He does drive out all fear. Paul gave this reminder to a young pastor in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. This is, you know, timid Timothy here he's talking to. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Friends, God doesn't always remove the problem or the storm. But he does give us the tools that we need to get through the storm. So seek the Lord. And be delivered. Truth number three, if you're taking notes. um, Live for Christ in every season. Live for Christ in every season. We see this truth in verses 11 through 16. David writes, Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. Verses 11 through 16 are like a teacher getting ready to instruct his students. David's saying, hey students, gather around. I'm about to teach you how to live for the Lord. I'm about to teach you how to fear the Lord. You know, it's been said that the Christian life is not hard to figure out, but it's hard to do. A pastor friend of mine likes to say, uh, truth is simple and life is complex. This wasn't original to him. I do believe he quoted another pastor when he said that, but it's so true. In these verses that we just read, David says, learn to fear the Lord. This means trust the Lord, honor the Lord, respect the Lord, and recognize his power and sovereignty. Author Warren Wearsby writes, those who fear the Lord need fear nothing else, for this is the fear that drives out all fear. And I love that. You know, this truth isn't original to Wearsby either. In fact, we know that it comes straight from God's word. 
Those who fear the Lord need fear nothing else, for this is the fear that drives out all fear. That's a truth that we see in Scripture. You know, when you and I learn to fear the Lord, we don't have to fear anything else, especially the storms of life. When we fear the Lord, he provides all that we need when we need it. I will say this, if, if we don't receive what we think we need, especially in the midst of the storm, if we don't receive what we think we need, that just means that what we think we need isn't good for us at that time or isn't what we need in that exact moment. So David asks an important question here in verse 12. He says, does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? I think all of us would answer with a resounding yes to that question. Who wants to live a life that's long and prosperous? Well, he gives the answer to this question. He says, then live for God. Are you living for God today? Do you have a sincere faith in Jesus? Have you experienced that kind of peace that surpasses all human understanding? And David gives a short list here of what it means to live for God. This isn't a complete list. But he does give us a picture of what that sincere faith looks like. He's saying, desire what is good. You know, desire a full life, the abundant life that only Christ can give. This is a kind of life that has little to do with possessions, status, or fame, but has a lot to do with character, faith, and a desire to honor the Lord. I can't tell you how many times lately, whether it's through the a radio program, a sermon I'm hearing, or something on TV, that I'm seeing the younger generation uh, when, when they ask what they want to be when they get older, their answer is, I want to be famous. You know, they just, they just want to be seen. And, and this isn't everybody, but I'm seeing a lot more of it. And he's saying, you know, the life that lives for, for Jesus, this is the a kind of life that has more to do with character, with faith, and a desire to honor the Lord, not yourself. And then David is saying, watch your speech. You know, speak what is true. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 2 in the New Testament tells us, if we can control the tongue, we will be able to control ourselves in every other way. Proverbs 21 verse 23 reminds us uh, to watch our tongue and keep our mouth shut and we'll stay out of trouble. You know, friends, this is an election year and there's a lot of political things going on in our country right now. And I was reminded this week, um, if, if something was never meant to unite us, then why should we allow, allow it to divide us? If something was never meant to unite us, why should we allow it to divide us? I think that's true with a lot of things we're seeing right now. As a Christian, friends, Jesus is what unites us. These other things are worldly things. They're not meant to unite us, so let's not allow them to divide us. And this instruction here for the believer, watch your tongue. Keep your mouth shut and you'll stay out of trouble. Some of us need to watch our tongue and keep our mouth shut right now. Third thing he gives here is uh, turn away from evil and do good. He's saying do what is right. You know, search for peace and work to maintain it. And seek peace with people and with God. Abandon sin and do good as God gives you the strength and the opportunity to do so. Look for those opportunities to turn away from evil and to do good. And the last thing he gives us in this section is really expect what is best from God. Our Heavenly Father is a perfect parent. He's a perfect provider. So live by faith, trusting that God will guide you, that he will care for you and help you to do the right thing. So when you don't know how to face life and life isn't going your way, keep living for Christ in every season. Ask God to give you the strength and the desire to do so. And then the fourth and final truth that we're going to talk about today really wraps all of this up and puts a bow on it. Number four, trust the Lord always. Trust the Lord always. Verses 17 through 22, this is where we find this truth. David writes, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. 
He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles. Isn't that a reminder for us today? You know, those who are in Christ, you're going to face troubles. He says, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely destroy the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So David ends this psalm in the same way that he ends many of his psalms. He's saying there's a way that leads to destruction. That's the way of the wicked. And then there's the way that leads to a good life, a life that honors God and is good for others. That's the way of the righteous. This very last verse here, verse 22 says, But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. I believe there's not a person listening to this message today that that hasn't wanted the ability to be able to escape the storms of life, the, the pain of grief, sorrow, trials, and suffering, or even the small daily frustrations that, that constantly wear us down. Even when you don't know how to face life and life isn't going your way, remember, God promises to be close to the brokenhearted, to be our source of power, courage, and wisdom, giving us the tools that we need to get through the storm. So David reminds us, That even in the midst of the storm, you can keep praising God personally and with people. You can seek the Lord and and be delivered. Live for Christ in every season and trust the Lord always. There are important lessons to be learned, friends, especially in the midst of the storm. Today, we can be reminded that the storm doesn't last forever. That God wants to give you a better story. God wants your life to be a living testimony of his grace and of his goodness. Learn from David's example and keep your eyes focused on the Lord.